Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning as we think again about your word and what you have promised, what you have said to us to build us up in faith and hope, that you might address each heart here this morning. And we pray, Father, that you might do your great work to the glory of your Son, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Friends, we've, uh, we've varied the preaching schedule this week uh, because of a number of tragedies that we as a community have experienced in quick succession over the past few weeks. The Book of Common Prayer burial service includes the words, in the midst of life, we are in death. And it certainly rings true to our experience here at Moore College over the past few weeks, doesn't it? We were rocked by the death of little Andaly Masango in the womb just over a week ago. And then yesterday's news that Mark Fairfull, our marketing and communications manager, had died suddenly and unexpectedly over the weekend. Most of the time, most of us push death to the back of our minds and try not to think about it. We know it is the stranger who stalks us all the way through life. We know we cannot avoid it, and one day it will be our turn to die. But we'd rather not think about it, and so we are unsettled when it forces itself upon us in the way it has over the past week or so. It confronts us as an unwanted enemy that will not go away, something unnatural and something deeply tragic. And in a way, it's right and proper that we experience death, the death of those we know and especially the death of those close to us in this way because death is unnatural. It is not the way things are supposed to be. It disrupts relationships. It shatters dreams and it puts an end to the pretense that we are in control of our lives and that things can go on as they are forever. It breaks into our established routines and bellows at us that there are big questions that need to be answered and an irresistible force that sooner or later we must confront for ourselves. Because it strikes down the rich and the poor, the powerful and the powerless, those well known in our world and those nobody knows, the fitness junkie and the sloth, the highly educated and those who've not had the opportunity of education. Because there are no exceptions, we know that sooner or later it will win, or so it will seem. All people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, as Hebrews puts it. We can't and uh, we shouldn't try to make sense of death. We need to face it in all its strangeness and ugliness and pain. It is out of place. It doesn't belong. And yet it is here. When Jesus stood before his friend Lazarus's tomb, he wept. And amid all the reasons for his tears was the grotesque intrusion death is in the lives of human creatures designed to live with God forever. The only thing that's natural in this whole business is that we grieve the loss of those we love. 
it is both uh, futile and foolish to try to cover up death or to pretty it up in some way or make it seem normal and ordinary and in some strange sense acceptable. We all must die, but that would not be the case except for sin. Death enters human experience, Paul wrote to the Romans, through one man's sin and because all of us have sinned. And it can only be undone by one extraordinary man's obedience and because through that one man's free gift of righteousness, life must reign. Now, we get caught up in all kinds of distractions, don't we? Even as Christians, even perhaps especially as Christians studying in a theological college. We can focus on all kinds of issues, debate the niceties of doctrine and exegesis, divide over theological ideas and positions, and forget that fundamentally, when everything else is stripped back, Christian faith is about life and death. Christian faith faces the fundamental fact that each of us must die and it presents us the only hope that death might not be the end. And the life and death character that lies at the heart of, Christian, of the Christian gospel relativizes everything else, or at least it should do. What matters most is whether death, or rather death followed by judgment, will have the final word in your case and in mine. And so, dear friends, it's important that we stare death in the eyes this morning and, try not, and not try to avoid it. Because in the stark reality of death, the light and hope of the gospel of the crucified and risen Lord is seen for all it is. Christian hope is not a device for avoiding the reality of death. Far from it. Instead, it takes death seriously and opposes it with something far more powerful, the love and grace and power of God that is demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to turn our attention to our resurrection hope. Without minimising in any way the very real grief and trauma of death, but pointing us to how it's overcome, how death itself has been defeated once and for all, and how that changes our perspective. For what is our sure and certain hope as Christian men and women? It is that those who have died in Christ will be raised as he was raised. Indeed, the dead in Christ will rise first. And I want to turn our attention to that hope this morning by looking again at that most magnificent promise of the Lord Jesus given when he journeyed to Bethany after the death of Lazarus. So would you turn with me to John 11? John chapter 11. You'll remember the story, no doubt. The news arrives while Jesus is across the Jordan, near the place where John the Baptist had been baptising at first, news that his friend Lazarus was gravely ill. John makes a point of saying that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus in verse 5. These weren't just acquaintances. This is a family that mattered to Jesus. There was a relationship here that was obvious to everyone around them. And so it's jarringly odd when Jesus, upon hearing the news, stayed two days longer in the place where he was, according to verse 6. 
but the so in that verse, it's actually the word that's elsewhere translated, therefore, suggests it was precisely because he loved them that he lingered where he was. Nevertheless, after those two days, he does set out with his disciples, even though it was risky, uh, to go into Judea, to go to Bethany, to see Lazarus and his sisters. And Jesus knows that Lazarus has since died. He told his disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. For you see, this story is all about Jesus, the one who commands and conquers death. But it's also about faith, the faith of the disciples, the faith of that little family in Bethany whom he loved, and the faith of those who read this story centuries later. That is why Jesus lingered where he was across the Jordan. Jesus is the one who makes the difference between life and death, but not without faith, not without believing. When they arrive, Martha runs out to meet Jesus. She doesn't understand. She'd sent out the messengers days before. Why didn't he come? If only he'd been here. If only he'd arrived in time. But now Lazarus is dead. They'd even had time to bury him. And then Martha adds, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Did she really understand already that Jesus could raise the dead? Had she seen enough to know already that he is the source of all life? Had she heard about the widow of Nain's son or Jairus' daughter? What did she actually expect Jesus to do now that Lazarus had died and was buried? Well, the truth is we simply don't know. Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. But she knew that. Of course he'll rise again. At the great resurrection on the last day, that's what the Old Testament taught. Daniel 12 and all the rest. That's what the rabbis taught. Well, at least the Pharisees. The great end time resurrection. He'll rise again then. And that is when Jesus took hold of all that Old Testament expectation. All those promises and hints and anticipations. As well as the trauma of that moment for Martha and her family and he focused it all in on himself. It's there in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It is, I think, one of the most extraordinary statements and promises in the entire Bible. If, if there is one promise of Jesus that I need etched into my brain and stamped on my heart, it's this one. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The resurrection you'd been hoping for, Martha, and the new, fresh, eternal life that lies in its wake, it's all centred here on me, Jesus says. As one man put it, Jesus was at that point making clear He's not just another teacher of the resurrection. He is the divine author of all resurrection. It all comes down to him and faith in him. The defeat and the overturning of death is not just something to look forward to, something that we hope might happen sometime in the future. 
the defeat and overturning of death stood right in front of Martha that day. It's all there in him, all concentrated on this one unique person. I am the resurrection and the life. And so the one who knows Jesus and trusts in Jesus knows that death has already been defeated. Those who've died believing in him will be raised. They shall live. And those who live and trust in him will be carried through the physical experience of death and out the other side of it. For them, physical death really is like passing through a door, a gateway to further and fuller life and fellowship with God. As Calvin put it, he will never allow the life to be lost which he has once given. We know that life and not death wins in the end because Jesus commands them both. The moment a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they begin to experience that life of the age to come which cannot be touched by death. It is, as I say, an extraordinary promise built on an extraordinary claim See, resurrection is not just a matter of the last day, but it's now. It's not just a theory or abstract principle. It's tied to the remarkable person of Jesus the Christ. And a critical element is faith. It is the one who believes in him who lives even though he dies. It is the one who believes in him who never dies but lives. But it's not faith itself that does all this. It's not faith understood as some kind of human quality or or human achievement. It is rather faith in him. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's because it's not faith in the end, but the one in whom the faith is placed that counts most. Faith in the one who has commanded and conquered death. Well, as the rest of the story unfolds, the most astonishing confirmation of that promise was played out before their eyes and recorded for us to hear. First Mary, the other sister, comes to Jesus. Again, there's the same questioning, the same half-accusing tone. They took him to the tomb. He stood there and understood their grief. He actually felt it with them. But it had an extra dimension in his case, as we've seen. He knew it was never meant to be like this. But this is how we have twisted and distorted the gift of life he gave us in the first place. We've turned it into simply an elongated moment punctuated with grief. Then Jesus prayed, and again it becomes clear just how important faith is in all of this. Father, I thank you that you've heard me, he prays in verse 41. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. This is happening so that they might believe. It is passed on to us so that we might believe. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love the preacher's observation that Jesus had to use Lazarus's name or else the whole cemetery would have emptied in a moment. (laughs) So complete is his authority over life and death. He commands it and it cannot be otherwise. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. 
his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And Lazarus is the first proof. But the even greater proof was to come. For when the full ferocity of human antagonism towards God was unleashed against Jesus, when the innocent, righteous creator and deliverer was taken by force and crucified, death did not win, but it was cracked wide open. He is not here, he is risen, the angel told the women at the tomb. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. For as by a man came death, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, so by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus himself had said it before them all. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Death is a brutal ugly, terrifying thing, even when it comes quietly. It doesn't belong here, but it is here, and we cannot avoid it. It disrupts our lives and it brings real sharp grief. But for us, it is not grief without hope, because death has not won, and it cannot win. It hasn't won. In the case of our brothers Andale and Mark, they now enjoy the fullness of their father's love. Now all that their father intended them to be and safe in his care. And death won't win in your case either. The same John who recorded this great promise of Jesus for us was privileged at the very end of his life to receive one last remarkable vision of the risen Jesus. In the first chapter of the book of Revelation, John records what he saw and heard when he turned to see who it was who was talking to him. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Glory and majesty, wisdom, purity, perfect justice, unrestrained power. No wonder when John saw this he fell at his feet as a dead man. But listen to the words he heard next. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Yes, uh, we've been surrounded by death in the past few weeks, and the grief it brings with it is real and deep. Yet we have hope in the midst of it. For just as in the midst of life we are in death, so in the midst of death there is life for those who trust the one who conquered death entirely and forever. He really is who he said he was. 
he has really done what he said he would do. And he really will do what he has promised. I am the resurrection, Jesus said. And the life 